Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we are glad that you're here as we get another behind-the-scenes look at the Pursuit Spirits brand. My name is Brian Bikey. I am your host, and joining me, as always, a couple of Scrooge McDucks. We have <laughs> Kenny and Ryan here on the show. Oh, man, I love what? that reference. I don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just swimming in your swimming pool full of pennies. That's about right. Before we get too deep in the money talk, I uh, Kenny, no, I know we've started the episode sort of like this before, but I also know as we're getting into the cooler months, you're getting into to, to barrel aged beer season and in the stout seasons like that. Walk us quickly through a couple of things we need to have on our radars before we get down to the topic tonight. Oh gosh, it's it's hard to think about what do you need to be looking for because everybody knows this time of the year it's when all the Goose Island Bourbon County Stouts come in and that's what everybody goes and chases after Black Friday. So if you're already listening to this, it's probably already too late. But there, if you're just getting into it and you think, well, I really like what soy sauce tastes like. I wonder if it is like this in beer form, <laughs> then that's what you need to go and get. And if, if Ryan says anything, he's going to say, if you want to go take a nap in 20 minutes, sure, go ahead and get one of those as well. Yeah, if you want to feel like you just went through the buffet, you drink a stout. <laughs> So there's a lot of great, great stouts out there. So I'm always on the hunt for something. But me, I'm. it's got to be over 12%. That's where my baseline is. That's where I like those really heavy stouts. If you can, if you can pour, if you can pour it into a glass and you can put a fork in it and it stays vertical, that's what I'm talking about. I appreciate you bringing up the soy sauce thing because, you know, it's one of those things that you always judge, but you, you never think of somebody who's actually into it calling it out. Like that, uh, you know, you just think that you're naysaying it, but with you, a consumer of them, bringing it up, now I feel a lot more validated in the fact that they all taste like soy sauce. It depends on how long they've been aged and some other factors into it, but yeah, there is a soy sauce element to it, a little bit of motor oil element, but I think that's the... That's the fun part about it. It's like it's like drinking a liquid chocolate cake. I have nothing to add to this because I don't <laughs> drink stouts. <laughs> Not anymore. I've learned my lesson with them. <laughs> it's, what, it's the hard part about it, too, is because they come in bombers or even some, you know, sometimes 750 mLs. And I'm like, I can't drink all this shit by myself. So And it sucks because I don't have enough friends that want to come drink them. So I can't have people over to do it. So I always end up either crushing three quarters of it by myself or doing it all by myself. And that was that was the end of the weekend. I almost thought about that the other day because you had posted uh, a little story uh, tasting one, but then you posted a follow-up to it. And for the, when I came back around to the follow-up to it, I was like, how much time's gone by? And how much beer has he drank <laughs> that he had to jump back on and talk about it again? Honestly, it may have been like a total of three minutes because the first sip you try it, when it was with poppy seeds and orange peels, Brew Logic, Logic Brew, whatever it is, it's a very well-known distillery based out of Love Coast and the west side of the coast. I tried it and I was like, oh, it's different. But then as I had a few more sips, I go, actually, this is actually pretty damn good. It's one of the first times that it wasn't like a whiskey quickie. Because when I taste a whiskey quickie, we know right away if we like a whiskey or not. But this one, it, the first taste wasn't there. It's a little interesting, but it really grew on me pretty fast. Well, tonight, what I wanted to talk about, hot off the heels, you all maybe have seen the previous press release that we put out, which is talking about the latest round of funding Pursued Spirits 
has. And we're going to talk about investment funding today. We have a previous topic that kind of talks a little bit about raising capital and all these sorts of things. But specifically, we're going to dive into some questions about how it pertains to the brand now, what this most recent round of funding looks like and means now in, in the immediate future with the guys. So either of you kind of jump in and just kind of sum up a little bit about what we're looking at here, and then we'll break down into some questions. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of do it real quick. So this is something that we had been working on for a while. I know that a previous episode, we had talked about fundraising and, and sort of what we were doing to to do that. And we had originally raised, I think, around $2 million through private funding. This is through Friends, Family, and Fools, where we put on some, I'd say, rather favorable terms for, for most people. And as we were starting to go through this, you know, the math started adding up. And when I say favorable means that we are giving a very good return on their investment after the note was due in four and a half or five years. And Ryan, when his all good knowing business background, looked at it and said, I think we can probably get a better rate if we went through a bank. So there was a lot of conversations to try to figure out how can we find a bank to work with. And it went back and forth from a few different places, but we were able to land on somebody that Ryan had known for the longest time growing up. And I don't want to steal it away from Ryan. I'll kind of let him tell his story, uh, how that got there. But we were able to secure $6 million over the next, I wouldn't say not secure. That is a, that is a term that we're not allowed to use. We have developed a financing plan that will help us f- basically fund our new make barrel investments for the next five years with $6 million. And this is truly like what we need in regards of the capital. And we talked about how capital intensive this business really is. It's truly just from an inventory standpoint. We don't need the money to go and do more distribution or buy more glass. No, it's it's right now, it's actually buying the barrels for securing our future of what we're going to need in the next six years plus. And we've got a great plan in place where we can pay off the the interest only financing, sorry, the interest only loan right now, where we will be able to be hopefully, fingers crossed, debt free by by 2031, depending on if we want to continue to buy more whiskey, or if we just continue doing what we're going to do and have our small little niche of the segment. But I kind of want to let Ryan talk about the past that he had with uh, their commercial lenders and everything like that, because it's truly a, a tale of, you know, having those connections back home and it just isn't some blind phone call from some banker that we just, you know, happen to want to take our money. Yeah. It's kind of weird how it all just came full circle. Yeah. We were, you know, successfully fundraising money through, as you said, but truly grateful for everyone that took a chance on us because what that early investment allowed us to do was uh, to do a proof of concept, prove to our, you know, to a lender or someone that we can successfully run a business and, show a P&L and a, you know, a pro forma, which a pro forma is basically just a fancy word for projections for over a period of time of what your revenue, your profit and loss and your balance sheet looks like for a period of time. But uh, when I was looking at it, A, I was starting to run out of people I knew with money. And, <laughs> that's, and that's the first big hurdle. Isn't it? <laughs> that was how one many, of the big, how many more whales the, can you find? Yeah. And two, I just, you know, even as confident as you are, you just don't want to have great relationships with obviously these friends and family that lend us money. You just feel bad asking for a handout. Not not that it's a handout. They get a favorable return. It's just one of those things with money and, you know, whatnot. It, it, it's not a comfortable thing sometimes. But 
we laid out very good terms and we're very serious about what we're doing. So everybody felt comfortable in that regard. But anyways, started looking at, you know, some commercial side of things. And ironically, we got approached by some commercial banks that were actually approached by others in the industry who recommended to contact us because they thought that we were, you know, the next up and coming brand that could be do something in this space that someone could lend us money and be comfortable. They think like what we were doing was good. And so we were actually referred to some commercial banks nationally. And that's what kind of started this whole process. So started the conversations with them and kind of got an understanding of how these interest only loan asset loan base loan works. You know, as we've talked about before, barrels are appreciating asset, just like real estate or, you know, a piece of land or a cow you buy it for X and it, you know, at one year it's appreciated to this and so on and so on. So the, these banks are starting to get really comfortable with lending in the barrel space because they see how much appreciation is in these assets. And so once they're comfortable with that, they're, they're excited to lend on it, especially, you know, at the time real estate, there wasn't real much, much real estate inventory on the time. And these banks are sitting on a bunch of cash that they've made over the past 10 to 15 years. And, looking for new ways to invest that cash to make a good return. And so bourbon is growing, barrels are appreciating. It makes sense for them. So got an understanding of that. And we were kind of talking to three or four commercial banks. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just get a call out of the blue from a good friend of mine at a local bank there in Bartstown. You know, he's like, hey, I heard, you know, about Charles bourbon business. It's really exciting stuff. We also hear you're looking for a financing partner and, it's something that we may be interested in and we don't know who you're talking to, what you got going on, but love to just talk it, talk it out. So uh, town and country, which is a bank in located in Bardstown, Kentucky, several of my friends, parents are sit on the board. I have a long relationship with, you know, these, these friends and family. I consider them family. You know, some of the people have guided us and helped us along the way. And it just, just was, we went and talked and Kenny got to meet the board and, talk to the, you know, the president and the loan officers and went on, we kind of presented our case and whatnot. And they were very impressed and very excited about working with us, but that was all good. But we had to prove our case to a board of directors, you know, went through the whole process of showing where we are today, where we're going in the future and how we're going to make this all happen. And Kenny has the best, brightest mind in spreadsheets and he developed (laughs) spreadsheets that even blew bankers minds away (laughs) and i think that's what really like was a sealed the deal was like they're like kenny even our like smartest brightest minds of spreadsheets are like overwhelmed by your spreadsheet because it's so much data (laughs) and it's true so it's and so i I forget there was one bank we did talk to and she goes i i don't understand this can you put it in a template that looks like this and I looked at her template and I go, I don't understand this. Looks looks too simple. I was like, how do you account for all these other variables that can? Because here's the thing: is that most pro formas are, I don't know, they're like what 15 rows. The thing I built as close to 900. So it was one of those things that I looked at it and I was like, how how can I project something like this? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, it's a crazy spreadsheet that takes in like barrel dumps to new make to how much glass we're using. And it's all like you click on a cell and it's like hieroglyphics. There's about 70 characters in it. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just scared to even touch it. So I, I'm scared I'm going to break it. But, but anyways, these spreadsheets were very impressive. And so this, 
and we presented to the, you know, some board board members who had questions about the bourbon space, because this is something new for most banks, especially a small community bank. You know, they're very comfortable in real estate, traditional lending, you know, cows, you know, inventory, but not inventory on this scale. And so we really had to guide them through like how the whole process works and what the industry is like. And I just don't think this would have happened without the relationships and connections I had in, in Bardstown. And, and I'm truly grateful. And, you know, when I went to present this, I even got emotional because that was like, for me to sit here in front of you all, when I grew up all in this town and seeing bourbon come from nothing and to sit here and have the opportunity to ask you all for millions of dollars and ask you to believe in me to finance it. It was like an emotional moment for me and something like I was like truly grateful for. And so we came to terms and they believe in us. The board got on board, no pun intended. And yeah, here we are uh, with a great financing partner that believes in us and we don't have to worry about raising capital f- to fund our future growth. And it's such a relief and we're so grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, I remember when he started getting emotional, I'm sitting there elbowing him to the side. I'm like, get it together, man. Like people are going <laughs> to think you're a softy. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I don't think it was that. I'm sure it was your cow line that really drew them in, though. Give give the folks. That, by the way, first give folks an understanding of because people probably I, when I started this, I was like, "What do you mean you lend money on cows?" Yeah. So basically, so the way we set this up, and it's you know no different than cows or uh, or you know say you're going to build a neighborhood or a commercial piece of real estate. What you set up is on an interest-only loan while you're building a commercial piece of real estate or as the cow is maturing before you sell that cow to be slaughtered, to be turned into meat. So a cow, you buy a calf at, say, I don't know. I don't know the going rate for cows, but $700. <laughs> maybe it's $700, but then once it gets older, you know, maybe it's worth like 5000 bucks when you sell it to be slaughtered. You know, with bourbon barrels, they sit in a warehouse. They have to be... When you move them, you have to file paperwork with the government. They track every barrel. There's lot codes on them. And so I looked at them. I said, I know y'all lend money on cows, and these damn barrels don't won't walk away to another field. They don't require antibiotics. <laughs> they don't die and get sick. So yeah, I'm about ready to give you money after that. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things that it was a, it was a new space for them to look into on how you how you do this. But at the end of the day, after we presented a lot of the cases, and I believe that's why a lot of bankers are starting into this route, because it is a, a very good appreciating asset. And I, I think that one of the main arguments that we made is that the bank would actually be better off if we failed, because the amount of money that the barrels would be worth is more than what we're going to have out on the loan when the when the note is due. So we'll be okay, hopefully. Fingers crossed, everybody keeps drinking United. But that was one of those things that kind of really sealed the deal is that they could see the value of where these go. Because yeah, today you, you buy a barrel for $750, $800. And then by the time it turns four, it's close to 3,500-ish, maybe it could be 4,000, depending on where it is, where it's from. And so that just gives you an idea of, of where it goes over time. And that's why bankers are kind of getting on board with this. And that's where it made sense for us to start looking at it, only because as Ryan mentioned earlier, you don't have to sit there and start chasing after a bunch of people every single financing round and get checks in. But instead, we've got a, I always say one throat to choke, but Ryan says one check to write. And that's the that's the the name of the game right there. It's kind of a two-edged sword. Like barrel values are extremely high right now, you know, on the open source market. And so like it's good from a lending aspect when you be like, look at these values, you know, 
But on the flip side, if you're trying to grow your inventory, it's very expensive to to acquire barrels. But uh, so it's kind of a catch twenty two. But you know, you send those values to these bankers, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, look at the the appreciation in these!" And if even if you cut them in, you know, by half, you're still it's still a safe uh, asset for them to lend on. Yeah, and as we kind of go through this, I think it's also important to recognize and reiterate that the bank isn't just giving us money to go and do whatever we want. Where yeah. Ryan's not buying a new truck, we're not putting it into something else. This is strictly for inventory. And people have been giving us congratulations, way to go, you're doing it, you're rocking it, you're doing it. It's like, uh, no, we have to pay back every single one of these pennies plus interest. So there's there's a lot more money that has to come out of our pocket in due time. This is just, again, one less headache of, of actually having to worry about fundraising, but instead we can now focus our efforts on sales, on marketing, on product development, and not necessarily just trying to scrape together funds to for the next new make round. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's important that we celebrate this. It's a very huge deal that I think this proves to us and to the world that we're not just two podcasters putting whiskey in a bottle. We take this very seriously. We have a serious business. We want to produce quality products, provide great experiences for our consumers. And and we've proven that. And we have now a financial partner that believes in us as well. And I think that is a huge win for us. I mean, from where we've started to, to, to be able to secure this financing is a, is a major deal. And I don't, and while yes, we do have to pay that back and plus some, <laughs> I've never been so excited to be in, in debt. It is a huge win for us. So I do want to take a brief moment. The interest payments haven't came in yet. So <laughs> yeah. until wait that till first the, bill comes, yeah, wait till that first bill comes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what does this look like in terms of stock? So if this is something that it allows you to go ahead and purchase a stock that you're going to need for the, the next five years, is that something that is still going to be staggered out? And if that's the case, is that because of the partnerships and what you all are able to get? Or are you guys just going to start acquiring what you can, when you can, and and start locking it away and aging? No, right now we've already locked away everything that we need for the next few years. We're going to have a little bit of Band-Aid years ahead of us that we've got to acquire just a little bit of extra aged inventory. But Getting this financing doesn't mean that we're going to go and buy as much three to four, five-year-old whiskey as possible and really start scaling United. That's definitely not the goal because right now our goal is slowly building United. If all of a sudden we couldn't keep United on the shelves and it was just getting overtaken, like if we had a little bit of a smoke wagon effect, yeah, sure, we might start thinking about something like that. But this is really a slow build for us. So all the money that we have brought in from private investors plus the bank loans. This is all going into new make. And so this new make, of course, you've got at least four years until we start doing something with it. We'll start blending it around four to six. So you won't really see a lot of this stuff come to fruition until 2026 when we can definitely start scaling to that next point. So what we're going to be doing is we've got, I've told it on the show before, is that when we did start these partnerships with the distilleries and our partners, I said, we need to buy four, three, two, one, and new make. So we utilize all of our existing investments to buy the H stock that we could. And then we started putting down new make as fast as we could, utilizing new money that was coming in from other investors. And this was just because we felt confident knowing that we could scale up slowly. By scaling up slowly, that gives us the ability to, I guess, break in all the the learnings that's going to come with it. I mean, those are some things that we're currently learning right now. It's rules and regulations. It's sales and distribution. 
those are those are hard lessons that we have to learn now while we're small and not necessarily trying to grow too big too fast because that would ultimately bite us because if all of a sudden we had 20,000 cases of product that we're sitting on, I mean, we could potentially go under. So if we're able to figure out how to do sales flow, product flow, cash flow properly, then we don't need to worry about necessarily bringing on and scaling too, too hard too fast. So one of the things that I noticed in there too uh, that you all were talking about, and I know in some of the interactions that I saw that some people, you know, in the congratulations, like you were saying, were people mentioning uh, that you all are able to maintain full ownership uh, through this process. And we've talked about that a little bit too, but kind of in layman's terms, I would say, what exactly does that mean for you all that you all have all the freedom that you do in this particular stage and with the funding that you all have and, and how you all see that continuing on? Not giving up equity is, I mean, it's huge. I mean, because that's what you started for. It's your baby. It's your business. And so, you know, where a lot of people fail in this industry and a lot of businesses, they have a dream and a vision. They get excited, but they don't have the cash or capital to do it. And then they go and find money, which money's available, but sometimes it comes with a lot of, you know, extra baggage or extra things that consequences with money. And usually people want forms and that they want equity. That's what it comes with. They want a piece of the pie. You know, they're happy to give your money, give you money, but they want, they see the, the future. They think they see the future and they want a piece of the pie. They just don't want like a return on their investment. And so with that, we, because we're able to not have to give up any of our companies so far, the, the the nice thing is we've been, we haven't just dove into this head first. We've kind of been slow growing a slow drip, proving ourselves to not just to us, but to the marketplace and understanding it. And before we ever started money raising, we had a proof of concept and we've kind of already figured out somewhat the distribution, the con new make contracts, the sales and we, we kind of had everything going and a proof of concept where we could present to someone and say, we need your money, but we don't need your ownership <laughs> and we'll give you a favorable return for your money, but we don't need, you know, to give up that ownership yet. And because we had that proof of concept and the numbers to back it up, it allowed and it gave investors the confidence to give us money, not necessarily having to require a piece of the equity. Whereas a lot of times, if someone's going to give you money, they're going to like, well, I want 51% of your business because I'm going to make all the decisions because, yeah, you have a great idea, but you're just some young, dumb greenback and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. And then next thing you know, you're five years down the road and they've raised more money and your shares have been diluted down to nothing. And then the original founders have little to no skin in the game and then they're just eventually pushed out. And so I, I've just it's easy to go give up equity, but I learned through my existing businesses and conversations from people in this industry. You know, there's been many brands that have taken on equity ownership early on to help because it's tough. I mean, we are I mean, right now we are in a, a grind. <laughs> We're figuring out how hard this business can be and how unsexy it is with the distribution side and the sales side, how nitty gritty it is. And it would be easy to say, hey, give us some money and you take equity because you have the distribution side figured out. And there's been a lot of brands who have done that. But 
what's happened is they lost the soul of their company. It's now just turned into a, you know, another cog in somebody's portfolio. And it's not what the true intention of the owners wanted. And sometimes you see owners just like Dixon's example of selling his company to Stoli, you know, say, well, my, I no longer align with what the people that purchased me are. And so I'm leaving to start again. So that's been kind of important to us to, I'm rambling here, but that's been very important to us to keep as much, keep all the equity as much as we can. Now, Trey Zoller gave me some wonderful advice in this because when we were going and looking to raise money, he's like, he's like, there's smart money and there's dumb money. He's like, there's people that are going to give you money and want equity but they just have money. They don't understand this space. They don't understand the spirit space. And if you're going to give up equity, make sure it's to a smart, smart money. You know, somebody that's been in this space, they've proven themselves. They understand the spirits game. And that advice was instrumental and really led us down this path of trying to find a banking partner that is not interested in equity. It's interested in just making returns on a, on a loan. Yeah. I'll just add one thing in there. And I, I, that's, it's exactly right because we had been offered, you know, a few million dollars here and there over time. But the thing is, is that those few million dollars, it would have gone straight into inventory. It wouldn't have gone to anything bigger that we needed. I mean, now we can use, we we have bigger ideas and plans that we need for, of course, what we said earlier, sales, distribution, other marketing initiatives, different things that we could use money for. But if somebody's going to go get, give us $6 million and they want 30% of the business or 40% of whatever it is, it just, it doesn't make sense because they're going to, they're going to come out way more ahead than we would here. Cause I, I did the spreadsheets. I did the math. I know exactly how long it's going to take, how long it's going to take to turn and flip those barrels into bottles and put them on shelves and get returns from our distributing partners and, and everything like that. And it just didn't seem like it was a lot long in the future that we would have to wait. And if they're not going to help us with everything else that we would need to be successful, then I didn't see a need to bring them on as a as a partner into it. So making sure that we waited to find the right partner at an asset-based back loan was truly the right move. Are you seeing other companies do things similarly to this? Are you seeing them do stuff slightly on a tangent to what you all are doing? And if they're bringing in other shareholders as a part of growing the business, you know, what strengths would you all see for, for companies that are doing that, that maybe is left, you know, on the table, left as something to eventually get to, you know, in your all's particular situation. Companies do it all the time. And especially in this space, figuring out the distribution game is crucial. It's vital to this business. And usually when you give up equity, it's to a, someone like a, you know, a Pernod Ricard, for example, or a Stoli or whomever that has experience in this space and already has like the footprint in the distribution game and they can plug your brand in there and use all those resources, mm -hmm. you know, to, to help get your brand out of the market. Because, you know, as we're going through right now, distributors um, really don't, <laughs> they don't value you as a small brand. And, you know, whereas the bigger brands have so much more money and resources to really support a brand. And so it makes sense to partner with them to where they can or have them purchase some equity in your company to help get you through that grind. Because it's 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 very challenging at, for a small to midsize brand to to break through those distribution barriers. That's just one observation I've had throughout the years. 
I've also heard rumors before of somebody like Republic or Southern saying that if I'm going to bring you in as another brand in my portfolio, I want five or 10 or 15% of the company. And then they'll run distribution for you for the entire United States. That is a that is a, a tough gamble to try to figure out if that's what you want to do or not. But those that's those are real deals that that probably happen all behind closed doors. And you see that that happening, and that's just something that I didn't want to get ourselves into. So knowing that if you are going to and, and back to your original point, Brian, I think you see a mix of everything that's out there. We've had Chuck Morton on the show who does a lot of investing. And when I say on the show, on, back on Bourbon Pursuit, he does a lot of investing. There's other people that we know that are doing asset-based back loans. There's other people that I know that are just bringing in partners and giving up equity. There's It's it's a whole mix of things that are out there. For us, we feel more confident in what we're able to build because we have – I think that's a great thing about what we have with Bourbon Pursuit and what we've been able to build through here is that we've established a lot of those relationships and the friendships for so long that we could call up people. He's called up Drew Colesby and he's called up Trey Zoller. We call up Joe Beatrice. We call up whomever. And everybody's been very happy to give us an hour of their time and be able to help us navigate these waters. And we haven't really felt a need to say like, okay, we've got to really bring somebody in and you know give them equity and have them be a part of this team to, to take over some sort of roles. The day will come where we can bring more people onto the team and take over roles but hopefully we can pay them in salary, not necessarily equity. Our ultimate scale point is, I think it's around that 45,000, 50,000 case brand. And I think Kenny and I feel confident that we can get us there with the resources we have and the the relationships we've built and the, the network and support system that we've built. Once it gets above that, it might be time for somebody smarter and bigger pocketbooks to push us past that. Because I don't think I'm comfortable beyond that. No, that's true. Like you said, we we already know that even at our final scale point with the amount of bourbon barrels that we're putting down and whiskey barrels we're putting down today, somewhere around the range of around 1,400 barrels, that still puts us at a pretty much a boutique brand when we get to final scale point. So at 45,000 cases... You're talking on the realm of, I think what we said before, that's equivalent to like what Henry McKenna does in a year. Yep. So is that something you're not going to be on every liquor store corner across the nation? No, it's still going to be pretty scarce and that's okay. I think we're okay with that. So with having the funding that's going to be able to go into make and going in that specific use over the next however many years, what's what's the next uh, injection look like? And I don't necessarily mean you know, investment capital injection or anything like that. I'm meaning, you know, what, where are you all going to focus other money on and, and start really pushing things forward while you kind of have a little bit of a lock in that specific area? Yeah. I mean, right now we are going back and, and working on the sales and distribution side. As Ryan had hinted to earlier, that's one of the pain points that we're currently feeling because as a small brand, you definitely get overlooked inside of distribution. If you think about it, your Diageo, your Pernodes, your Heaven Hills, your whomever, they have actual sales force. They have real people with real jobs that go and push across the country all their products. And they have they have goals they have to hit before the end of the year. And so for them to do that, they provide incentives to their distributors to go and make and hit those goals. We were very naive in getting into this, thinking that, oh, we don't need to set sales goals. Like, you're, you're good. Go, You got your 25 points in March and just go have fun. Go out there. But when a salesperson doesn't have a salary and they are completely incentivized off their, not incentivized, but they, you know, they get kickbacks on everything that they, they sell, you know, get 
3% on spirits, 6% on wines. Well, if they see an incentive that says, oh, you get an extra $10 for every case you sell of a certain product. Well, who do you think they're, what do you think they're going to go push? Well, it's nothing pursuit spirits because we haven't offered that yet. So our products set in warehouses. So those are the things that we're currently trying to figure out. How do we get beyond there? So we can focus some money on, on making sure we create some, some better distribution footprint there. We'll look at things of actually acquiring some other non-tangible or not and not type of inventory that would be used for a, a bourbon barrels, but instead we can use for proofing or we can use for any sort of lab equipment, some things that we can get some utility out of right away. So just trying to figure out how we can spend our the money that we have earned off of profits into there. But at the same exact time, we also have to pay off those interest-based payments every single month too. So let's not forget that, that it's just not free money coming in. We still have interest payments to pay. And two, we're just really refining our, you know, and pushing ourselves to always focus on the whiskey too, like focusing on how can we continue to create unique and interesting flavor offerings, profiles, you know, whether that's with finishing or micro blending or blends, but, you know, we're, we're really just fine tuning the process and obsessed with the, the process of how can we make sure that we are the, one of the most interesting and best products on the shelf so that we don't get looked over on the shelf and that we, people, we create a buzz around us. We're spending a lot of time on that and trying to get our distributors get out of the warehouse and on shelves so that people can actually buy it. You know, it's a weird system that you have two layers of people that control your product getting to your customer. And so trying to navigate those two layers has been, I don't want to say fun challenge, but <laughs> because it hasn't been <laughs> but fun. But this way, but, it's, uh, a, it's something to discuss for another day. Yeah, it's definitely discussed for another day that just something we kind of knew existed, but just had no idea how deep it existed. And uh, we'll... You know, it's and I'm not complaining. It is what it is. We'll we'll just have to play the game and figure out what's the best way to move forward. So aside from the uh, the coffee mugs and T-shirts that uh, let me show you my spreadsheet that we'll have branded for Pursuit Spirits very soon to kind of just offer here on the side. I mean, what does this look like for your old uh, day jobs? You guys still keeping those around? It's one of those things that everybody says congratulations, and I even saw some of the comments that said. Oh Ryan, can you put Bermuda grass in your rearview mirror now? And that's that's not most that's not necessarily going to happen. Well, we are still, as we mentioned earlier, grinding it away for the next few years because one of the things that I have every single time I, I get this itch to go and jump in full time, my wife always reminds me how expensive health insurance is. So there's there's no getting rid of the day job anytime soon, and and. Going into it, uh, I think we still got a few more years in, until that flip happens. So we'll just keep going on and uh, you know working three jobs and twelve hour days every single day. That's okay, and uh, I'm still having a good time in my other businesses and have great teams and those that do great things to allow me to no pun intended pursue uh, this itch of mine, this career. But uh, extremely happy where we are and. We still got a lot of way, long way to go, and I'm just enjoying the process. Guys, thanks again for getting into this topic. Really interesting stuff. Uh, and again, congratulations on this milestone. I'm really excited to see what the brand's going to be able to do uh, as we kick into the next year and, and then keep on going for the next several years and see where we're going to hit these benchmarks and how we're going to keep pushing the brand forward. Once again, if you guys have any questions for the guys, if you have potential podcast episodes you want to hear us get into, 
podcast at pursuitspirits.com for any of those. Thanks again, as always, everybody for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed. And until next time, we'll see you all later.